As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. I'm Michelle Owen and this is the Athletic Wins Football Podcast World Cup Edition. Today we're looking back on day 23 of the FIFA Women's World Cup in Australia and New Zealand. Spain secured the first semi-final spot by scoring an extra time to progress past Netherlands in Wellington to Thangaluri Artara. Sweden joined them by set-piecing their way to a fifth Women's World Cup semi-final. And Japan's exit means we will have a new name on the Women's World Cup trophy. With me today are The Athletics' Tamara Griffin and Mark Kerry. Hi, guys. Hello. Hello. First up, then, let's look at Japan v Sweden. Well, Japan have won hearts and minds with their adaptable swashbuckling style to be the surprise package of this tournament. But their run has been ended by the tournament now of serial semi-finalists Sweden. And yep, guess what happened for Sweden's opening goal? It was a set piece. Tamara, I mean, I know you loved watching Japan, but they must have studied Sweden. They knew this was coming. Could they have done more about it? Honestly, sometimes you can spend as much time as you want studying and you still get beat on the test. I want to give Japan credit and assume that they did everything they could to defend those set pieces. And I wonder if this is just a case where multiple things can be true. You know, Japan put up their best defense and Sweden is just superior. It's hard to watch because we all knew what was coming and that it was just going to be a matter of time. Amanda Illestet is on a tear. Um, Incredible. As a former defender, I love I love the fact that she's in the Golden Boot race now, but I, I actually don't know if this could have been prevented. This wasn't the first game where Japan's lack of height was a real issue. I mean, that feels really simplistic saying that, Mark, but 
Uh, according to Michael Cox, the Swedish paper Affonblad had a lineup of the Japanese and Swedish players and a police star lineup to highlight the height difference. So maybe that isn't simplistic and maybe it did come down to that in a way. This was the first game really where they came unstuck by it. Yeah, I mean, to, to Tamara's point as well, you can't train height. You can't prepare for height. So at some point you have to just part with the idea that the other team has an advantage. And in this case, it was a physical advantage. And Michael Cox mentioned about it, and I think we spoke about it in the the preview as well, that this game was always going to come down to trying to expose the weaknesses of the opposition. And Sweden knew that Japan had a height disadvantage. And Sweden themselves, irrespective of of Japan, are strong from set pieces. So I looked into the numbers on this as well. So 25% of Sweden's shots in the tournament are from set pieces. And that's higher than the the tournament average of of 21%. So we know where their strengths lie. And we know that they're going to get a lot of crosses in. We know their their height advantage. I think Illestat is five foot ten, I think. So she's one of the the tallest players in the tournament in general. So you'd be foolish not to maximize that that advantage, whoever you're playing against. But of course J- Japan had a had a height disadvantage. So there was going to be a, a difference within that and and Sweden maximised it and profited from it. So Sweden won up, then on 48 minutes got a penalty for a handball. VR called it back. Felipe Angadel converted it and Sweden were in control. Japan had uh, no shots in the game up to the hour mark. How did Sweden stifle Japan so much, Tamara? I think this is, of course, coming back to studying. Sweden respected everything that Japan has put together so far in this tournament. And I think they figured out how to read the piercing through balls that up until this point, Japan has been able to profit from, beautifully so. It was an aggressive game, but not in the conventional way. I think both teams have a really keen understanding of their center of gravity. And usually Japan is able to use that to sort of compensate for whatever differences in height they've had to deal with 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 past opponents. But Sweden had that and the physical advantage. And so there were a lot of instances I saw where uh, Japanese players had the ball at their feet back to goal. And Sweden really just stifled them. They absorbed pressure brilliantly. And on top of that, were just a step ahead. They were playing faster football. They were reading everything that Japan was trying to throw at them with respect to passes. And for so much of the game, it just felt like Japan was one or two steps behind. Around the hour mark, Japan started to have a spell. The pressure was building. It led to that Japanese penalty mark on 73 minutes. Uh, slightly bizarre. It was allowed to stand, but it didn't matter. Eki clattered the crossbar with her effort. Then a late goal for Japan on 87 minutes from Hanoka Hayashi. Japan had 10 minutes of stoppage time to equalise. Sweden held on. How have Sweden's tactics been so effective, Mark? How are they executing their plans so well? I think with efficient and pragmatic tournament football, and I think the reason I mentioned specifically tournament football is because you know you can play it, compare it to a club side where you know you, you want to hit some some form across a longer period. There's so much more football to be played. You don't need to necessarily be the the best team in every game. It's it's serving a purpose and it's to qualify out of the group. You don't always have to win every game. It's to qualify, you know, to the next round. And you don't, you have to, as I mentioned before, expose the, the weaknesses of the opposition and maximise your own strengths. You don't have to necessarily always be the tournament's best team. And I think that Sweden are certainly doing that. And Tamara mentioned it before that, 
it felt like they kind of just had Japan's number in terms of knowing what to do, when to do it, when to stifle them, when to kind of allow Japan to to have the ball in certain areas and when to to jump out. And I think it was. It's not always the most entertaining football. I think we can all agree on that. But it's effective football and it's pragmatic football. And across the men's and the women's game, I think in international football, that's often the team who gets to the semi-finals, the finals, and often becomes the winner of the tournament, as I say, not necessarily the ones who come out of the blocks quickly, are the most eye-catching, easy on the eye. As we saw with Japan, they were they sort of came into this game and, and became sort of the tournament favourites. But often you see that happen quite a lot when the the teams who are the most eye-catching actually don't end up making it to the final. And we, we definitely saw that today. Yeah, it has been effective, but some would say they can perhaps suck the life out of games. What do you think? Tamara? Yeah, Mark, you make such a good point. And I think in the context of this tournament, where the narrative has been so beautifully and refreshingly, beautifully and refreshingly defined by teams that a lot of people were not expecting to go far, were not expecting to dazzle us with their cohesion, with their technical ability, to have a team like Sweden that has stuck pretty stubbornly maybe to their tactics to what they know they do well to not maybe ride the waves of various tactical trends is a bit frustrating especially because it worked (laughs) I mean I'm sure it's not frustrating for Swedish fans but I think this particular matchup between a team that doesn't care what anyone else is doing isn't going to get caught up in the rapture of creativity or pretty football which is exactly what Japan has supplied to know that that still works, given where we're at now with women's football, is um, it's humbling, <laughs> but it's convincing too, right? I mean, this is a tough one. This is a tough one for me. I totally get that because there is an argument to be made that at times uh, their football can be uh, perhaps a little dull to watch, but then you have the moment where they hit the post and that was beautiful football, so they can clearly mix it up if they need to. Look, Mark Japan are out then. Do we want to write a little love letter to them? Because we loved watching them. I mean, they were so wonderful to watch. I thought after they beat Spain 4-0, they were my, I've said it on the podcast, they were my pick, them or England, to go and win it. And I I just cannot get my head around how they beat Spain 4-0. The Netherlands lose to Spain 2-1. I mean, you cannot predict anything in this tournament, can you? But it's the general consensus sadness that Japan are out of the tournament. Overall, yeah, I'd say so. I think that... We, you know, we came into the tournament talking about all the individuals, all the star names for each respective country. And I think that one of Japan's strength was the team effort and the, the collective of how they, as a, as a team, had so much cohesion and, and so much kind of variability to their game. I think we spoke about it in the, the last episode that, that I was certainly on, that they were able to play possession football and really dominate the game. But then in that Spain game, they were able to show a completely different side of them, that they were able to counterattack so, so clinically. So they were almost, that was why I think they were favourites for the tournament in the end, because you almost felt like you couldn't catch them out. And while Sweden were really strong in this game because they had Japan's number, I think in this game, Japan kind of undid themselves by doing neither one nor the other in terms of having that that strength that they've shown in possessing the ball and having so much dominance in possession, which they, they did so, so well in the group stages. 
And then they they had that counter-attacking element to their game, which they showed so clinically against Spain as well, that the numbers show it as well, that it was about 50% each in terms of the possession uh, in this game, that they they neither bunkered in and hit hit Sweden on the counter-attack or really dominated the play and their their passing accuracy wasn't quite as strong as well. So it was just a shame that we what we kind of built them up in, in terms of the positivity around Japan ended up being kind of their own undoing because they ni- they did neither one or the other of, of the key strengths that we'd, we'd outlined throughout this tournament. Well, it's a nice touch for the stadium PA to play ABBA for the Swedish team after they won. They played Mamma Mia, if you're wondering, probably because it is here we go again. Sweden have reached a fourth FIFA Winter World Cup semi-final in the last six tournaments. Well, Spain continued their chaotic course through this tournament by knocking out the Netherlands to advance to their first ever Women's World Cup semi-final. A penalty for handball by Stephanie van der Graaf in the 78th minute broke the stalemate in this one. Mariana Caldenti putting Spain ahead by converting the penalty. Then in the 91st minute of regular time, even though it was added on, it was Stephanie van der Graaf who scored the equaliser on what turned out to be her last game as a professional footballer. So dramatic. So we had extra time. A 19-year-old at Salma Parallelo hit what proved to be the winner from a counter-attack in the 111th minute. Uh, Spain, Tamara, getting to the semi-finals counts as a success, right? It does. Um, and this is actually a good reminder, I think, because of all of the the drama, the ups and downs that this team has um, has undergone just on the road to this tournament. But objectively speaking, yes, reaching the semifinals is huge for them. And even though their their road to this point has been as as bumpy on the pitch, honestly, as off, just in terms of the inconsistency, at the end of the day, they are getting the results that they need to advance. So hopefully this is a moment that the pieces can start to click together, maybe permanently or at least more consistently than what I've seen. But they got the result that they needed today. Were they any better defensively in this game compared to the other matches that you've seen of them? For example, <laughs> losing to Japan 4-0. I think so. They they seem to be growing a bit more confident defensively. Um, I know that this particular back line hasn't had a lot of minutes together leading up to the tournament, but they seemed a lot more cohesive. They seemed a lot more brave. Um, I know Lyneth Burenstein, for example, posed a huge threat just from the speed alone. I mean, we can get to the finishing or lack thereof maybe later, but they were able to match her pretty much step for step when it mattered most. Again, this is another spot that I still think we need to see more consistency from from Spain, but they did exactly enough in this game, I'd say. Mark, will the Swedes be able to contain such an effervescent Spanish attack as they have done against the USA and Japan? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one because... I think Spain are a, a side who implement their own style and are fairly unchanged in, in the way that they like to go about implementing it. Whereas Sweden, as we spoke about before, are more pragmatic and look to see, okay, what are the strengths of the opposition? How can we look to to try and get around that? So I think that Spain are somewhat more predictable to, to play against. But the way that Sweden showed against Japan, how they can sort of overcome that, I think Spain will be kind of a similar proposition in, in terms of being a side who like to to dominate the ball so I think there's a kind of a, a blueprint of how to to go about it and if they kind of do something similar there then they'll have a good chance of of progressing I think that Spain do have more kind of individual quality than Japan we, we know that Spain's midfield is so so strong and they've got far more firepower on, on an individual level 
um, up front as well. So I think it will be a tougher test for Sweden, which makes sense. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm reluctant to predict anything in this, this tournament. The way that everything's gone, you just can't call it. So it uh, be a really interesting match. Well, Spain and Sweden will face off in the first semi-final on Tuesday, the 15th of August at 9am UK time. We'll look ahead to who will join them in the semis next. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Welcome back to the Athletic Men's Football Podcast. So, the final two quarterfinals are Australia against France tomorrow morning, 8am UK time, and England v Colombia follows at 11.30. So let's look at Australia v France. Tamara, you were at Australia's last training session today, ahead of tomorrow's game. Uh, What did you notice? Anything specific to confront the French threat? You know, we don't get a ton of time in these sort of open to the media portions of the training, but I did notice a really interesting juxtaposition between levity and like thin air sort of pressure in that, you know, there was plenty of music playing during the warmups. They had the yoga mats rolled out. But once the training started and once the players started running and doing ball work and and sort of contact, it sort of felt like, at least in the media section, everyone started to hold their breath because this team has been rocked by various injuries throughout the tournament. And I'm not only speaking of Sam Kerr. Um, it felt like there was this hypervigilance for anyone who whose pace or, or, or strides might be a little bit off just in case or anyone who sort of peels away from, from training to do some individual work. Of course, later in the, in the press conferences, we were able to ask them about that, but it, you could tell that the, the tournament isn't, is intensifying for these, for these co-hosts. And yet there's still, there's still a lot of joy. There's still a lot of pride, um, but I could feel the forces of both of those things working through the training today. Was there anything of interest at the match day minus one press conferences from either Tamara? You were at both of them? You know, Australia is over the moon to be playing this game. They have spoken so highly of the support that they've been getting from fans who've been showing up. France, on the other hand, was very welcoming of that support. Head coach Hervé Renard referenced the game that France played against Brazil and how in that game, Brazil felt very much like the home team. And they're expecting, obviously, the same thing when they play Australia. They welcome that. Both teams referenced the friendly that they played against each other a few days before the tournament started, in which Australia beat France 1-0. Australian defender Ellie Carpenter said that they're not thinking about that game going into this one. It's a completely different situation, a completely different environment. Anything can happen in World Cups. Ellie Carpenter was an interesting uh, player to speak with because she plays for Lyon and knows a, 
a vast majority of the players on this French side, either personally or having played against them previously. Um, so I think there's going to be a lot of recent familiarity between these two sides. They seem to both be embracing the pressure. Head coach for the Matildas, Tony Gustafsson, was his typical avoidant self, I would say, when, when questioned about the status of Sam Kerr, which is not really a surprise at this point. He said that if she is fit to play 90 minutes, she will absolutely start, which is both a response and a non-answer. So that (laughs) remains to be seen. Um, But this is going to be a huge game for a number of reasons. And both teams seem ready to step into that spotlight. Mark, France have started to sort of click into gear, haven't they? Do we feel... It's them that will progress because I saw an English journo who's out there say they think Australia will win the whole thing. I mean, having the the crowd behind you is is can't be underestimated, can it? To to have such home support, you you could see it potentially happening again. I'm reluctant to put my neck on the line of of predicting it because so much has already <laughs> happened in terms of the drama and the the surprises. But I think. France are the the stronger side, I think, individually um, and collectively. But I think we mentioned it in in the last episode of how France had it kind of easy against Morocco. I think that the game was kind of done by about half an hour, certainly by the the end of the first half. And the second half was the intensity had completely dropped. So France were able to take their foot off the gas a little bit. And I just don't think that will, will be the case against Australia. And I think that... Morocco couldn't really get out of their own half every time they they won the ball back. It just ended up going back to the France defence and then it was just wave after wave of attack. And I think I mentioned it last time that Australia have the the most direct attacks, which is a a metric that's essentially a proxy of of counter-attacking. They have the most of of any side in the the tournament so far. So Australia will will attack and attack with with purpose when when they get the ball and um, in, in their own defensive third, they'll spring forward at speed and with purpose. So I think that France can't switch off or can't take their foot off the gas quite in the same way as they did in uh, in the previous game against Morocco. So again, it'd be a really exciting one to see how the, how the two match up. I don't think uh, either side can, can switch off for a second. OK, let's look ahead to England against Colombia. Lauren James has had her suspension increased to two games. She'll only feature again in this World Cup if England make it to the final. Uh, apart from James, Serena Vigman has had the rest of the squad to choose from. How do you think they're going to line up without her being available? Lauren James, Mark, well, who do you think is going to come in? Same formation? Yeah, I, I do think same formation that, that did work so, so well against China, not so well against Nigeria, as I think we've spoken about before. But I think to starting sort of defensively, before we kind of get on to James, I think that having three at the back is going to be a, a real advantage to stopping Colombia's front three. They were really strong in terms of their their interplay and, and Ramirez especially kind of ruffling up the... Uh, the back line um, and just being so strong in and out of possession. So I think England would be, it would make sense for England to be able to just have enough numbers to be able to cover all three of the, the Columbia front line and then allow their, their wing backs to get nice and high. And then from an attacking perspective, I, it's tough, isn't it? Because Lauren James is so strong and kind of unpredictable in her actions when she's on form, which for, for the most part, she, she was in this tournament. But I'd maybe put Ella Toon in there. I'd say, but I think it's important to keep Lauren Hemp and Alessia Russo as a kind of a pairing up front. I think they did so, so well against China in particular, where they were just dovetailing so, so well when one went on the back line, another would drop in or get into the channel. And I think that having just a single 
central presence, I think that the Columbia centre-backs would be able to deal with if it was just Russo on her own. So I think having a bit of unpredictability and a bit of movement would at least cause a bit of disruption in the, the Colombian back line. So I, I'd probably stick with the, what do we call it, a 3-4-1-2 or a 3-5-2, whatever you want to call it. Um, I, I think that, that Wiegmann should should stick with that. Tamara, English fans, should they feel nervous going into this? Because the Lionesses weren't great against Nigeria and Colombia could very easily win a technical battle if they play the way Nigeria did. I would be very surprised if English fans were not nervous right now. Though I have been deeply impressed by the determined positivity throughout this tournament, given all of the challenges this team has faced up until this point. Uh, I was at Colombia's game against Jamaica and seeing Colombia's technical prowess in person made me even more excited for this game. They are so confident. They have unwavering trust in each other from front to back and it allows them to be cohesive. It opens up their creativity in ways that I have not seen many teams do super consistently or as consistently as, as Colombia have done throughout this tournament. I'm also thinking about the fact that Colombia was able to get their result in 90 minutes. England had to play 120 and go to PKs. Yes, there's been a sufficient amount of rest time in between, but I do wonder if that could end up coming back to to be a troubling factor. I think this is going to be such a tight game. Different playing styles between the two sides. A lot of people have been talking about the the vulnerability that England has maybe on the wings. And um, I've just been thinking about how between Haiti and Nigeria specifically, both of those games left ample notes for, for Colombia to study. And I think that when you have so much visibility, um, the way England does, that's sort of the, the trade-off, right? Is that you are studyable. And so nerves can be good. You know, I'm, I'm not necessarily saying this is a bad thing, but <laughs> I think it, it's, it's not wrong to be nervous for this one. Look, you're not a football fan if you're not nervous for these games, especially when you're at the stage in the knockout stages. So that is Australia v France, ATM tomorrow. And a reminder, England v Columbia is 11.30 in the morning tomorrow. Thanks very much for joining us today. Make sure you subscribe to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast wherever you're listening now so you don't miss a single episode. Thanks to my guests, Tamara Griffin and Mark Carey. I'm Shell Owen and we will see you tomorrow. The Athletic. <laughs> 